Hey everyone, welcome to Phil Goes to Camp. I am the titular Phil, and the titular camp is Camp Crystal Lake, home turf of one Jason Voorhees. If you're new here, I am watching the Friday the 13th series of movies for the first time in my life. Uh, also, if you're new here, please take a look at our back catalog. My son Austin and I have over 100 in-depth movie reviews and conversations in our archives. Uh, there's a lot there. Uh, pick through it, find something. I'm sure we've covered something you like. Um, all kinds of genres, all kinds of stuff. And then we have special episodes and stuff like this and short commentaries. And I talked to David Luzader about Barry and those episodes are on. There's a lot there. Go check it out. Today, I am talking about... Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. This movie, um, to get right into the title, you know, we like to talk titles here. This movie ditches the numbering altogether for the first time since the final chapters. It's the first time since the fourth movie. Uh, there's no numbers here. No Roman numerals, no regular numbers, no spelled out numbers, nothing. Um, and, uh, for the first time, the name Friday the 13th does not appear in the title. Uh, it does, however, continue the trend of having a subtitle that lies. This is not the final Friday the 13th movie, and just like the final chapter, I think we all knew that it wasn't going to be at the time. Uh, we're nine movies in here. Obviously, they're going to just keep churning them out over and over and over. Uh, moving on, I want to line this up and check in with how this film goes with the Star Trek pattern of quality. Uh, and I'm happy to say this is where the pattern finally breaks. That's it. It's over. This movie breaks the prophecy. The prophecy laid out by a 60-year-old franchise. And it does it in no way since Star Trek 3 and 4. This movie dares to uh, break the mold and have an odd-numbered movie be good. Nine movies deep, no less. This movie, this far into a franchise, has no business doing this. But this is the one that beat the odds. Congratulations, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. You did it. You broke the pattern that made me dread odd-numbered movies. And I am so, so proud of you. Great job. Great job. I do not have to fear the day they make Friday the 13th, Part 11. Okay, now let's get to it. Uh, all of that said, in saying this is a good movie, this movie is not great, but it is good. It's mostly entertaining, and it's one of the rare examples of a movie in this series that feels like it's trying to be an actual movie and a movie of some quality. It's not trying to just keep the franchise going. It's not simply a exploitation movie. It's not just, um, just moving along to move along. Uh, like I talked about in my episode about part six, there is a noticeable attempt in this movie, like part six, to make something that looks good, that functions like an actual story. And like I part talked about in part eight, uh, there seems to be a self-awareness in this movie that is helping that along. Unlike part eight, though, this movie is committed to being self-aware. This movie understands what it is and 
embraces what it is. It doesn't just lean in. It says, yes, this is what we are. We know what we are. And we're going to make a quality-ish movie on those terms. And it does it from the very beginning. This movie opens with a young woman driving out to a cabin in the woods of Crystal Lake to stay by herself. Uh, it shows her going through the cabin, uh, uh, changing a light bulb in the dark. Uh, there's several times they set it up for a jump scare for a reveal of Jason to come into the scene and kill her, and it just doesn't happen. Uh, it's already playing on the expectations of the audience. When he finally does show up, it is, of course, after she has gotten undressed to take a shower, um, and it results in her running through the woods in nothing but a towel and him chasing her. Finally, she gets to this spot in the woods. All these floodlights come on, and there's a SWAT team waiting for them, and the woman, it's revealed, is some kind of cop, and it's revealed because uh, she runs and does a a front flip in a towel over this line of soldiers or SWAT team or whoever they are. Um, and, uh, and then it's just sort of like revealed that she was bait and they all light up Jason. They, they just are shooting him like a hundred times. They gun him down. They blow him up. Some kind of missile or bomb or drone strike. Something comes in and just absolutely, uh, destroys the body of Jason Voorhees. Uh, that's the opening of this movie. And I think it is great. I think it is a great way to uh, open this movie up. It's kind of hilarious, uh, but it's also just a really great way for the filmmakers to say, we acknowledge the tropes, the expectations of this franchise. We understand them. And we are, are getting that out of the way. We're winking at you immediately. And it also says that the people in this movie also know what the tropes of this franchise and this killer are. They're saying, we know Jason attacks young people who are isolated in the woods. And we know he waits until they're naked and vulnerable. And we're going to use that. We're going to set up a big trap for him. It's really kind of smart and refreshing to see the movie acknowledge that. Um, that said, uh, this movie also goes back to a point of, um, of doing what it does when it's at its best. And that is to have these old tropes in there, but not to just do the old tropes. Like part seven was so much just sort of old tropes. Let's check them off the list and get through this. This one is saying we have Jason doing Jason things, but we're also going to put a kind of unique angle or layer on top of it. This time, uh, Jason is killed in the opening, but his spirit possesses various characters throughout the movie to keep them, uh, to keep the murder spree going. Um, he possesses the coroner, who uh, goes on a killing spree, making his way uh, from the federal morgue. You know, the federal morgue. Every major city has one. It's where they take the bodies uh, that have 
cross state lines, I guess. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he goes from there uh, to uh, uh, starts making his way back to Crystal Lake in the body of this coroner. Um, and uh, it just goes on from there. He goes as far as he can, then he possesses somebody else and somebody else. And uh, it's it's a little silly. It's silly. It probably doesn't work for the hardcore fans. Uh, but for my money, this far into the franchise, uh, Jason's been resurrected from the dead several times. He's a zombie. He's a, uh undying monster uh, with no motivations or anything. Uh, there's no explanation for anything. Possession isn't that far of a reach for what goes on in this universe. I'll buy it. I give them credit for putting an interesting angle on it. Um, I think this movie is also uh, benefits from being made by people who are fans. I think it's fans not only of this franchise, or not, maybe not even big fans of this franchise, but these are fans of horror and slasher in general. Uh, I think the people who made this movie are huge John Carpenter fans because there's so many references to John Carpenter in this movie. Uh, there are straight up duplicated sequences from Halloween and there's references to The Thing. There is homages to The Thing. There is a little weird uh, monster, creature, snake, bug, something um, that is uh, very John Carpenter's The Thing-like. Um, it's the heavy use of tropes, of slasher tropes across the board. And, of course, the movie ends with a Freddy Krueger ish cameo uh or freddy krueger implied cameo uh, uh uh partly i think because this movie is the first of the series to be made by new line this is when new line had acquired it um acquired the rights to make movies i don't know the rights of friday the 13th are very weird because um uh, some names and some characters are owned by one company and some movies are owned by others. I think this is the reason I couldn't find this one or the next one on HBO has them all except these, which is weird because HBO also has all the Freddy movies, which are also new line. It's very strange. I don't get it, but either way, uh, that's fine. New line cinema, the house that Freddy built uh, they're making this movie and they're making it with a sort of quality that they were making some of the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies. There are looks that are very similar. Again, it's all kind of in one house. Maybe this is like this slasher singularity is starting to happen where they're all sort of merging into one thing. Um, but I think overall it sort of helps the quality and it kind of made this movie more palatable for me there's also some really great kills in this one uh my favorite is probably the waitress there's a, a like kind of true crime-ish diner that's trying to capitalize on the death of jason Voorhees. and um there's a waitress who kills the um she stabs the possessed news anchor he's like an america's most wanted kind of guy uh, with some kind of thing that's like a spear. Uh, I don't know what it is. A fireplace poker or something. Um, and then he, after she stabs him, he grabs hold of her and pulls her to him. 
and impales her on the other end of it. It's actually almost a kind of smart, it's a little bit subtle. It's not as wildly gory or graphic as some of the other ones. Uh, uh, but I, I liked it. I thought it was kind of clever. Also a big plus for me is that this movie features Aaron Gray, who, uh, when I was a kid, I had a huge crush on because she was on Buck Rogers and the, in the 25th century. Um, so it was good to see Aaron Gray on here, uh, playing kind of a important role. All this good stuff aside, this movie suffers from pacing issues. A lot of scenes go on too long. Uh, whether they're action or exposition scenes, and the plot tries to be more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. Um, there are things happening here that uh, have no reason, no logical reason for happening, other than we are going to need this thing in play over here later on in the plot, so we have to do something earlier to get it there. And it all just seems very contrived and doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. It feels like some of this stuff is in here to pad out the runtime. Something I haven't talked about is the saving grace of a lot of these movies is that they are very short. Most of them clock in right around uh, hour and a half, hour 30, hour 25. Um, I think the longest one was uh, part eight, which was like an hour 40 or hour 45, which is bad because it's one of the worst ones. Um, but that is the saving grace of this. These aren't like, oh, we're this big important movie that needs to be three hours long. I think like most movies uh, or most horror movies, there's no reason to go over uh, uh, the two hour mark and to keep a slasher movie real tight at an hour and a half, I think is a really smart move. Um, the premise of this one and the fact that we're this deep in, I think they were kind of struggling to hit that hour and a half mark. So I think some of this stuff kind of feels padded out where it didn't really need to be. Uh, in addition to that, this movie continues the, the proud Friday the 13th tradition of explaining nothing about how we got from the last movie to this one. The end of part eight, Jason is completely melted, hockey mask included, by a tidal wave of toxic waste underneath Times Square because apparently... That's the kind of thing that happened a lot in the late 1980s. It was toxic waste, everything. Ninja Turtles, Daredevil, it was all toxic waste. Uh, in this one, he just shows up in Crystal Lake at the very beginning. Uh, fully intact, not fully intact. He's still decomposing because he's been killed several times. Uh, but it's like the last movie never happened. And I think that's what this series does. It does a lot of retcons. Uh, I don't like the way this ties our hands to what happened in the last movie. Therefore, we won't acknowledge the last movie. And it just moves forward from there. It's fine. It makes most of these movies uh, very easy to watch on their own. You don't have to watch them all. You don't have to punish yourself the way I'm doing and watch every single one of these. Um, my uh, buddy David Luzader messaged me uh, and said he finally watched a few of these movies um, in, in the last month and he watched them. I think, uh, I, th I think he said he watched, um, six, 10 and three in that order. And it just did not matter. And it's, it's a hundred percent correct. I think, I think that is also an upside of these movies. 
Um, but the retconning is a little bit weird. Another big retcon is that uh, Jason has a sister. Again, we're cribbing from the Halloween series at this point, even though the addition of the retcon sister in the Halloween sequels was not an invention of John Carpenter. Uh, that was that was the sequel machine taking order uh, or uh, taking over. Um, and and this one introduces the lore that in order for Jason to be killed and finally sent to hell, um, someone in the Voorhees family has to do it. So they had to make this separate <laughs> sort of bloodline of the Voorhees family uh, that has never been mentioned before, uh, but is now nine movies in we are being introduced to. Uh, simply so that uh, they can satisfy the prophecy that was made up also in this movie that we have never heard of. Um, it's fine. It's what this franchise does. But the inability to stick to your own rules, stick to your own timeline, stick to your own logic, it's wild. It's a little bit annoying. And I think it's a lot of the reason that slasher movies... Uh, can't be taken seriously or aren't taken seriously. I think there's a lot of exploitation movies from the 70s that people kind of look at and they go, that's um, that's an important movie uh, in black culture. That's an important movie in Asian culture. That's an important movie in American culture because of this, this, and this. And therefore, we take these things seriously, even though the production quality on these movies isn't perfect. Uh, likewise, the the first Halloween, uh, also kind of a low-budget exploitation movie, but it is kind of taken seriously as this great moment in independent film. Uh, and then you get something sloppy like this and, and these sequels that churn out uh, every year, a movie that rewrites their own rules. And at a certain point, it sort of scrubs away the, you know, what what this uh, entire genre was trying to be. We can get into the whole thing about uh, slashers being about being unsafe in the suburbs and, and standing for anyone can be this murderous thing. And you know, what, what is the metaphor of these things, vulnerability of young women, this, that, and the other. Um, but it's, you can't take any of that seriously and you can't look at this in any way as a piece of art if you're going to constantly be rewriting your own legacy. It changes everything. It takes the bottom out of any kind of serious thing that you're trying to make or potentially have. Um, uh, I digress. I'm sorry. I know this. that's not what this show is for. Um, uh, my last complaint is, this one is more on me. But I actually expect I actually expected this movie to spend time in hell. In this movie, uh, Jason goes to hell at the very end. It's it's not about him being in hell. It's about sending him to hell. In my mind, I thought this was going to pick up at the end of part eight, where Jason is killed by toxic waste, and then this movie was going to be about him after that arriving in hell. And having to fight demons and shit like that, uh, in my mind, uh, way cooler. I know it's not fair to judge this movie based on what I thought it would be versus what it actually is. But I was going by title suggestion. Instead of Jason Goes to Hell, perhaps they should have named it Jason's family and some of their friends and ex-boyfriends try their best to send Jason's disembodied spirit to hell to keep it from continuing to possess people and carrying on his 20-year murder spree, colon, 
the final Friday. But, you know, uh, that's more of a me problem. Overall, a highly imperfect movie, but it's far better than what I expected, especially this deep into the series. Um, and that's going to do it for this one. Our next stop, Jason X, we're going to space. Reporting from Camp Crystal Lake, located on the fraying edge of my sanity, this is Phil, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.